What's up, everybody? It's Lo, your host, and the rest of the Vols ATB crew with Brando, Alex, and Drew. Uh, tonight, we also have Jake Miller, host of Overtime on Fan Run Radio. If you guys missed it last night, Jake had us on his show. And tonight, we are having him on our show. How are you doing tonight, Jake? Doing good. Thank you for having me on, guys. Of course. Likewise, back to you. We had an awesome time last night. Unfortunately, Brando and Alex are not locals, so they couldn't be on, but thanks for having us. Um, so I guess we're just going to dive right into it and let Brando start with some recruiting stuff, and we'll just go around, let everyone have their two cents. Yeah, I guess last week we kind of ended the show talking about the uh, potential domino effect starting with the month of June or July. For July 1st, 3rd, 4th, you had July 1st, uh, Tyree Weathersby, the defensive lineman out of Georgia. And then you had 3rd, Christian Conyer, uh, the the DB out of Kentucky of Bowling Green. We stole him from Kentucky. Got a really underrated guy in Ty, uh, Tyree Weathersby. Got two out of three. You know, then we get to the 4th of July. Uh, Francis, he picks Miami. Kind of, you know, humbles down the crowd. That was kind of getting hyped up and building kind of momentum. Tennessee stool that day. Lands a five-star in Jonathan Eccles. Uh, freak athlete, you know, he talked about that on overtime yesterday in the beginning. A really, really huge pickup way to kick off that. But, um, I guess all in all, still you go three out of four, not a terrible weekend. Uh, the momentum kind of diminished there for a little bit, but Tennessee just today going more and more crazy. Uh, the godfather of recruiting Steve Wolfong putting in predictions for Tennessee to get Cameron Sullivan, the number three athlete in the 2023 class. Uh, Shemi Rod Umarov, a top 20 offensive lineman in the country, and Nathan Leacock, a top priority wide receiver on Tennessee's board. So all in all, the momentum still seems to be rolling. I think uh, everyone kind of got toned down there when the Francis stuff happened. But let's be honest, guys, Tennessee's still in a really great spot recruiting-wise. Yeah, no, I mean, I absolutely agree. Um you know, Lucas Simmons announced today that he's going to be committing on July 11th as well, which will be, you know, Tennessee's definitely in contention with that. I think it's between us and Florida State, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, you know, Steve Wilfrong even put in a crystal ball for, you know, the Mr. Iron Curtain himself, Sham Umarov, which I think would be a huge get for us in the offensive line, you know, especially if we're able to hold off Georgia because they've been going after him really hard over the last couple of weeks. But, I mean, you know, like what Brando said, three for four, we're still in the top 15 recruiting class. We're still, you know, in the potential of getting three four stars within the next four days. And I think if we get all three, I think you could definitely see the Vols within the top 10. And like I said yesterday on overtime, that is a massive improvement in the recruiting rankings from where we were a year ago. So, only trending only upwards from here. I said this uh, last show, I think, but anytime anytime Brando brings up somebody that he's like, yeah, they, they lean in our way. I always think that we're getting them. And so then when I saw Francis uh, commit to Miami, it did hurt. But like you said, uh, we got to be realistic and know that we're not going to get everybody. <laughs> um, but recruiting is still hot. Like y'all said, we got a bunch of prospects lined up who are either like heavy leans or have crystal balls to us. Um, it was great getting the number one player out of Kentucky because screw the whole state of Kentucky. And that's really all I got. I ain't got much on that end. Y'all are y'all are hitting it already. So I'm just going to pass to Jake or Lowe, which I want, want to go first. Yeah, Jake, if you want to hop in. Yeah, Jake, go ahead. So yeah, I mean, like you said, it was disappointing, you know, Monday, you know, missing out on Francis. But you know, in the same breath, you know, an hour later we get a five star John for the 2024 class. That was great. 
you know, some of the things that are being floated around, I think you guys might have mentioned it before. Uh, Ruiz down at Miami, I mean, he's got deep pockets. And at that point, if they're really offering him what we've heard, you know, the $4 million number, then I would rather spend that $4 million, you know, to try to get Umarov and then build some more skilled players around him. That way you've got a more explosive offense. You're not putting all your stock into one offensive lineman. Oh, yeah. For sure. I mean, I get that he's obviously a good player, but there's no reason, in my opinion, to pay that much for someone like that at that position. Um, Y'all brought it up yesterday, I believe, but I just don't see the point. I feel like we can collect a lot more talent, even two or three more players at that cost, maybe even more. And we already like lack depth as is, as everyone knows. So there's no reason that we need to go out and spend $4 million on one person, in my opinion, especially at that position. Yeah. And, you know, Alex talked about it, how I said, you know, kind of thinking it was like a Tennessee lean. I think we all did. I know Jake kind of covered it on overtime, you know, hours before, you know, on July 4th, July 3rd, before his announcement, Francis was wearing a smoky shirt. Like, let's just all understand, you know, like we kind of understand, take that in, into mind, what kind of changed. You know, I feel like his family, they all up to the decision said they felt more comfortable with Tennessee. But I think all in all, Miami probably made a crazy offer. If that offer and the number out there really is true, then so be it. Like y'all said, um, I'd rather spend that on guys like Umarov, uh, Stanton Ramil. And if you can land Lucas Simmons, get all three of those guys at the price that you probably would have paid, you know, for Francis. And it's a win in my books. Those are three really talented guys on the line. So. Jake, I'm glad you brought up the uh, Ruiz pockets um, because I don't know if, if many people know this, but then this is not to talk bad about UM. This is solely just stating facts. I have to say that. <laughs> um, but the the U Health system, the healthcare system that is a part of the University of Miami, made $400 million, I think, in the, the first year under the pandemic. And they are allowed to get into that money for other things. That was part of how they got uh, Cristobal away from Oregon. Um, and how they sweeten the deal there. So there is a lot of money around Miami's program. So that, like, if if those numbers are being reported, it could be true. It could very well be true. But I just wanted people to know that like, like that is a thing that other other schools have money <laughs> that they can make big offers. Like I guess we've been reported to have been making. So like, just know that that's a thing on the outset. Uh, and I mean, I want to give props to Miami and Coach Cristobal because the staff they built there in a short time. It's really impressive. Like. You know, to go out there and steal Rashada for less money than Florida offered, allegedly, you know, get a top lineman and then have two five-star wide receivers. Like, let's remember Miami, they don't have their own stadium yet. They're still playing in the Dolphins stadium right now. They also have half of a field of an indoor facility, or I think Tennessee has two fields. So, like, they're lacking in a lot of spots, but to still go out there and, like, you know, now in the NIL era, like, everyone can do it. It's all legal. And if Ruiz is really, you know, sticking and, you know, going deep in his pockets like that and landing these guys, like, it's going to happen a lot sooner. And I'd rather it happen to Miami and for a team that's, you know, recruiting with teams like Florida, it's going to hurt us sometimes, but more times it's going to benefit us. So, I mean, that's the thing that I would rather have Miami take Francis than, as you said, Florida, Georgia, any of our rivals within the conference, because yeah. like exactly as you said, they're taking away that talent from Florida and Florida state and Georgia and Alabama and Auburn. So that's actually going to benefit us more because we're never going to have to face them unless in a bowl game, of course, but like important games for that matter. So 
it sucks, but Miami's done this for years. I mean, you know, they had that guy, Devin Shapiro, that got convicted for 15 years in federal prison for, you know, their recruits, prostitutes. <laughs> prostitutes. So, I mean, that, that cartel money's all over Miami. So it's not surprising in the slightest. Allegedly, of course. Allegedly. <laughs> oh, I guess. <laughs> I was going to say, Drew, you said we never will have to play Miami, but I guess we'll talk later in the show about the conference realignment. But, like, you can't never say never in this day and age of college football. They might be our, you know. I mean, I guess that's true. I never thought USC and UCLA would be in the Big Ten, but here we are. So That's so stupid. That's so dumb. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just got to say it. <laughs> Do y'all want to go straight into that? Yeah, I guess, Jake, if you want to kick that off, what's been the, the takeover at overtime? How are you kind of guys accepting the conference? Like, is it like just this is what college football is now? Or So we're on, we're on filtering, bro. No censoring. Basically, we were just like, what the hell is going on? And why do you have two teams in L.A.? They're going to have to eventually schedule a game with teams like Illinois, Rutgers, Michigan State. All those things, like, this makes absolutely no sense to me. But at the same time, a few days prior to that, we were talking about, you know, college football playoff expansion, and it's like, you're going to have to at this point. Like, you're going to have no choice but to expand the playoff now that this has happened. And now we're talking about teams like your two Arizona schools, Utah, Colorado. They're about to get poached by the Big 12 more than likely. So then you're going to leave Utah and Oregon out to dry, and then your other – four schools, three schools, whatever's left in the Pac-12 at that point. I mean, they're pretty much going to have to fend for themselves. They're going to join the ACC or going to have to just figure something out at that point. I feel mostly like it's kind of like the SEC kind of made the first move, you know, adding Oklahoma and Texas. And then you have the Big 12 and the Pac-12 kind of saying like, hey, if we want to compete in the Big 10 now, Big 10 talking about making a mega conference, like all these uh, uh, conference commissioners, they're understanding that if you want to play ball, if the day and age of college football is going to these like conference championships, having their own playoff system and having to fight for, you know, the coverage of college football and getting dipping into that money that's being earned now these days, like you got to do what you got to do. And if that's, you know, kind of ruining the whole rivalry aspect, but, you know, bringing in big games that people want to see, not in a, just a bowl game to maybe happen, but, you know, every year have them kind of being diverse with the schedule, then they're going to do what they got to do. But it's just, you know, crazy to see like growing up and, always looking forward to that one rivalry. Like now you might have to wait three or four years before you play that team again. And it's just going to feel weird. I mean, I feel like it's inevitable though, because you know, this kind of like really started like when we added Texas A&M and Missouri back in 2012 of like adding the conference, because then you had Texas and talks of trying to go elsewhere, you know, Nebraska and Colorado both left there, you know, the big 12 to go to different power five conferences. So this is something that's been boiling up for a long time. And I think it's inevitable. And, you know, quite honestly, I think this is good for college football because as you get more power, these mega conferences in and have these 20, 22 team conferences, you don't really need the NCAA anymore. Like you could form your own like, you know, competition or level of college football. And it's going towards that direction anyway. I mean, we have the college football playoff where it expires after 2025, the current 14 playoffs, you know, format they have so i mean it's been going towards this direction for quite a time um yeah i don't have an issue with it it's weird i mean it's gonna be bizarre seeing ucla play Rutgers in november but you know i mean it's it's just it is what it is 
Yeah, I mean, exactly what you said, Drew. It was it was weird. Like, I still don't consider Missouri an SEC school. Like, no way do they appear or act like an SEC school. Um, so, I mean, even there and here, and it's still weird to us. So, it's like, it's just something that you get used to after a while. But financially, it makes sense that UCLA and uh, – what was the other school? USC? Yeah, they went to the Big Ten because um, in 2020, they made – the Big Ten made $770 million where – the Pac-12 made 534 mil. So, I mean, they, they're chasing money. It's, it's understandable. That's why A&M and Mizzou came to us. That's why Texas and Oklahoma are coming. So, but yeah, I think it's only a matter of time before we just fully dissolve conferences. Or like you said, Drew, they, the uh, I guess like big three conferences or whatever it comes down to will mm -hmm. leave, make their own league, and then the NCAA will just do whatever they say because <laughs> that's all of their money, um, which will be weird. And I was actually talking to somebody about this today, but like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of like the downsides to it. Um, if everybody's just like an independent school and they just schedule however they want. Um, I think it benefits the schools at the top most. And then the schools in the middle, they kind of have to fend for themselves because it gets harder to get better, I guess, because if you don't have those opportunities to play the, uh, the higher, uh, the higher up schools because they're playing each other, then maybe you don't get to prove yourself. I don't know. That was just a thought that I had, but um I mean, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of shakeup because the Big 12 said that they wanted to take like half of the Pac-12 or whatever was left of them, right? Said yeah, like six, six teams. Yeah, I guess the Pac-10 again. So, um, but yeah, so I mean, it's going to change. Everything's going to change, but we'll just see how it shakes out. Well, obviously it's, I mean, it's obviously a money issue or a money chasing thing like you guys are saying, but I just kind of feel I'm very torn about it. Like, can you imagine having like 20 plus teams come to the SEC? That would be kind of out of control. Like it could really get to that point. And then I just don't want it to be where it's all about like, oh, it's hard to even get a strong schedule or vice versa. How are these matchups going to be? How is the playoff going to be? Like, I'm excited about a playoff expansion, but it just feels like too chaotic. But then the other thing is it also leaves a lot of opportunities for each of these conferences to become mega conferences and just say, screw the NCAA, especially after NIL, where they don't even have a leg to stand on anyways, after all of that ruling changed. So... I don't like when anyone really has full control. Like I'm glad the NCAA has like kind of lost some of their control, but then I can see how this could get out of hand really fast. And I don't know. So I'm really just kind of torn, but I did want to get everyone's thoughts on like teams that we would like to eventually see added into the SEC or, you know, whatever other conferences you think would be interesting. Yeah, I think I think that first popular post that was going around, it had like North Carolina, Clemson, Miami, kind of like sectioning it like off by regions, you know, like a South region, like everything like that. Um, I think it helps Tennessee because if you have the NCAA out and you have your own rule of formats, then Tennessee can be the big dog they want. Like, because right now, you know, they're recruiting the NCAA investigation, having someone looking over your shoulder. If Tennessee can do whatever they want with their own alignment of rules, I feel like that helps. But it's also not going to help because going in to those states and areas and like, you know, usually you're recruiting them to play SEC ball. And then these teams are now on national stages playing in the same conference as you. So it's not really an advantage. It might make kids want to stay home more. Um, I do think it would be crazy though, to see like a Tennessee versus Miami game or a Tennessee versus Clemson game games that haven't happened for some decades. I think we'd kind of mix it up. Obviously it's some of the big names, big grossing names in college football, uh, some of the biggest spenders too. So 
going at teams with top classes. I think that's kind of everything we kind of wanted. I just think it would kind of do away with the whole like, you know, FCS games, like those four games a year that you get that are like other teams out of conference games. Like it's going to kind of do away with that. Our conference is going to have a make a pact for their conference teams to play another conference now because it's their own rules. It's not under the NCAA. There's just like a lot of things you can kind of look at it. But I think overall, as long as they do it right and it's kind of hard, you know, having the NCAA saying to, you know, do it right. But as long as they can get some kind of good format, I think it can be a really good thing. It might help the game, but it could also kill it. I don't know. A part of me would like if they started doing like, you know how in basketball they have like the SEC versus the Big 12 challenges. I wouldn't mm-hmm. mind if we had like a SEC versus Big 10 challenge, like to start off the year. Like we go one year play Michigan on the road or we go or we have Ohio State at home or like something like that. I mean, I think having those games like, yeah, I mean, it would suck for those FCS Division two schools because – they heavily rely on that one game a year where they get their teeth in like 65 to zero because we pay for their season. But at the same time, if you want people to show up to the games and have like meaningful games, you got to form those type of challenges. And I think it would be great for the sport. And as far as teams go, I don't want Miami in there. Like I just, I know I just, I don't like, I, they, I don't find them appealing at all. I, I feel like they would disrespect the conference in a lot of ways. So I want someone that's more respectable that we could actually beat, like Florida State. Florida State's terrible, but they have great tradition. Or, you know, Clemson-Tennessee could be a good rivalry, but the one team I think we should really heavily lean on on advocating is Georgia Tech, okay? And the reason is because Georgia Tech sucks in every sport, so it's a guaranteed win. They'd be like another Vanderbilt. And also, they're one of the original members of the Southeastern Conference. Like, a lot of people forget that. But they were in the SEC back in the 20s and 30s and 40s, the same time that Tennessee and Georgia and all these other teams were. So they have that history and that background behind them. So they have the history to it. They're a guaranteed win. There's no reason for them not to be in the conference. So I kind of think that – I I think that we should add Virginia Tech, okay? And I say Virginia Tech because I think that just based on, like, outside appearance, they look like an SEC school. Um, Also, due to proximity, they're not that far away. Um, But also, like Drew's saying about Georgia Tech, I think that they're beatable in every sport. But I feel like they compete a little bit more than Georgia Tech. So that win win would mean a little bit more than than just beating Georgia Tech because it's just Georgia Tech. I agree with the FSU edition. I think they're all, they're also close in proximity. I'm I'm big on the conference just making sense geographically, um, and with uh, Florida State in the Panhandle, they're not that far away. So I I would agree with that. Um, Clemson, I don't know Duke, whatever. Carolina can come over, uh, but aside from those, like that, that's Virginia takes the one that jumps out at me the most because I just think that they can get just as rowdy as we do if they're good. So playing them would be a lot of fun and just competing against, competing against them, not only uh, in the game, but also just as like fans, because they got some wild ass fans too. Uh, I think that would be fun, but just get, get rid of Missouri. I don't think they need to be hanging out with us no more. I'm glad that you added the geography point to it because I read a ridiculous thing today where it's actually the same dif- distance from New Jersey, Newark, New Jersey, which I believe is where Rutgers is at. The same difference from Newark to Iceland than it is from Newark to L.A. So we need, like, I mean, there has to be some logical sense in these teams that we add because you also got to remember, like, outside of football, like, it's expensive to try, like, to have your baseball, your basketball, your cross-country teams, even your tennis teams traveling across country all over the place. Like, 
that's the one thing I think a lot of people don't realize with the Big Ten is adding these these two teams, USC and UCLA. This is going to be a logistical nightmare for these universities on trying to get these like schools and trying to do these competitions. So I agree. The geography point is very, very important. Let me let me jump in right quick to that point, because, yeah, like now they just eliminated all of all of their bus traveling games to one per season in football. And then in basketball, you get two. <laughs> the rest, you've got to fly everywhere else. Same thing for baseball. I mean, you're going to have to you drive to one series and then you fly to the rest of them. Like that logistically just does not make sense. Like, I mean, yeah, the money's there and I guess it'll pay for it. But like, is it really that worth it? Like you might, you might start suffering competition wise at that point. That's just me. But I like, I agree with you. Yeah. I mean, good points all. And we have to take geography into account at some point, because I don't think Tennessee wants to be in a position where you get Oregon and Washington once the Pac-12 does fold into the SEC, and then you're having to make a trip up to Oregon, you know, or make a trip out to Seattle, which we're doing anyway in, what, 2031, I think, is when we're going up there. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Al made a really good point. It's like, you know, what if we all just go independent, you know, and we already mentioned uh, playoff expansion. At that point, you have to do it. And right now, like you said, Drew, you got Georgia Tech, who used to be a part of the SEC. I would try to go snag them. You know, maybe you'll get a Florida State because you can't get a couple of the original members. I mean, you can't go get Sewanee and Tulane. I mean, that's not going to happen. Those guys couldn't compete. But, you know, at one point we were all in a 23-team super conference before we joined the SEC or before the SEC was formed. But, I mean, at the same time, you had schools like BMI, Washington and Lee, Sewanee, and a bunch of schools that I don't even know if some of them have a football team anymore. That's what we were dealing with at the time. And I think also if you do get to the point where you do have 20 teams in a conference, we're already arguing about, you know, should we go to a four-team pod right now with 16 teams or should we do, a, what is it, the three versus – or what is it, three and six or one and seven are the models that we've been handed pretty much at this point. It's like we're already arguing about that. And if you add more teams that you make it a 20 team conference, you're just opening up the door for more and more just logistical nightmares at that point. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think geographically you really need to be smart about it. Obviously, even if you look back with the past two seasons with COVID and flights canceled and all of the shit that these teams have already had to deal with, that alone would be a nightmare having to go across the country all the time. But in terms of like teams that I would like to be added to the SEC, Clemson is number one because their schedule strength is such shit and I'm sick of it. So I think they should definitely be in it. And then in terms of other teams, just thinking about other sports, I also agree with Virginia Tech or even Virginia and Duke, not really because of football, but because of basketball. And I think it could just elevate the matchups that way for sure. Yeah, I mean, all in all, I think North Carolina, too, they should definitely kind of be in there. You know, South Carolina, North Carolina, that would, you know, every year already a game. You know, Tennessee, North Carolina, a lot of people from North Carolina, Tennessee connections. That would be good in itself. But all in all, like we said, it's a big old mess, you know, coming down to the wire of the whole contract with already going into the college playoff expansion. Talks of going to 12 or maybe 24. Like now you're having everyone make their own kind of move. So if you want to keep it together, you're going to have to, work with these conferences that are building their own kind of thing and, you know, align with that to, to keep it still a thing, no matter what, I just think they had to do it right. Uh, for the sake of the game, you got to realize you're doing this for college athletes, kids, just because you started, you know, putting the value 
of what they can earn doesn't mean you can just go out there and screw with them. Uh, they obviously have, they have to have something to play for. It can't just be like the NFL or makes the game of college football not matter anymore. And I think as long as they can do that, uh, keep the game where it's supposed to be, uh, it would be good to play these teams, play new, give them a new feel, new face to the game, but they just got to do it right. And it's hard to say do it right, but that's all they have to do. I don't know. I just feel like Clemson would just make much more sense as a team to add as opposed to Carolina. Not only you have that Clemson South Carolina connection where both that's an in-state rivalry, like Clemson also has a rivalry with Georgia. They've had history playing Auburn as well, and Tennessee's even had some history with them as you know. On top of that, so I just don't want to add Virginia, like Virginia and like Virginia Tech and like Duke. All those like schools for me are like they're just they're irrelevant. Like they're one sport schools. Like you know, we need schools that are good, at, like good at everything or terrible at everything. So that's why I feel like Georgia Tech would be a great addition. Yeah. I mean, you might as well call us like the Southeastern Atlantic Conference, like the SAC instead of the SEC, because the teams that you're going to try to go out there and poach are going to be guys in the ACC. And at that point, it wouldn't be maybe too crazy as far as this is going to see conferences like that merge. I know it sounds really crazy and stupid, but if you want your teams and you want to dip into the pool of like the biggest media grab for college football, merging with the SEC and the ACC, that would pretty much be like the dagger for relevance in college football, in my opinion. So it's just crazy to think about that, like where, where it could go and what could happen because we've seen it like things we never thought would happen before in the past six months. That's just coming to fruition. So, I mean, if we're going to be like technical though, like we stopped being the SEC a long time ago when we added Arkansas as a team because they're not even in the Southeast. They're, they're West of the Mississippi. Yeah. So Southeast. So, I mean, geography doesn't matter. Just don't add a California school. Don't add. Oh Oregon. yeah. Fuck no. Uh, don't add Nova Scotia. Like, just make it reasonable. Nova Scotia. <laughs> hey, I, I was going to say something about that, Brendan. Though, um, like, I think it makes most sense. Like, if we if we were to merge with a conference, why would we not pick the ACC? Because, like, uh, y'all have been saying, they do have original members from the SEC, or at least at least when we were a huge conference, had people that were part of it at a time, but. I feel like the the thing that gets in the way is um, the thing that was reported a while back was like when the SEC and the Big Ten were looking to expand and they were like, yeah, let's go do our own thing. And then it was like the Big 12, the Pac-12, and who's the other? What's the other Big Five or Power Five? What's the other Power Five conference? I forget. ACC? Yeah. Oh, damn. I just said that, didn't I? Um, yeah, those three, they were like making an alliance, right? So I thought I, that's the only thing that stays in my mind. So the ACC maybe just out of spot that like we're kind of doing this to them, quote unquote, they would not try to merge with us. But at some point, everybody's got a price. And if they want to get paid, if those schools want to get paid, they're going to leave. So either the ACC is going to have to make some more money or they're probably going to come right over. Don't you find it hilarious that literally like all three of those conferences, like the Big 12, the Big 10 or the ACC, Pac-12 and Big Ten all formed the alliance like a year ago, only for the Big Ten just to go ahead and just poach all their teams. Like, it's just fucking great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the real problem here. NCAA, EA Sports Football decides like they're coming back, and now college football just wants to go in a whole swindle. Like, how are you going to make a video game now? And, like, you have all this conference realignment going on. Like, you're going to probably put the draft in and have, like, everything change in, like, six months. That was, dude, that was the great thing about that game is just, like, customizing the conferences and adding, like, ridiculous teams. And, like, and now it's going to be done for like you. A, like a dream 10 years ago, and now it's actually happening. 
so great. I was, I was going to say, now you got to go in the settings and like turn on conferences. <laughs> You're going to have to like create conferences for all the teams now if you want to. They'd be like, wow, I'm customizing the hell out of this shit, ain't I? Putting it back to like the old way. <laughs> Take Vanderbilt out. <laughs> it's funny you bring that up because I was actually, this past weekend, that's all I did was if I wasn't, you know, fixing a burger, fixing a hot dog, eating some jumble, yeah. I was playing in NCAA 14. Yeah. And point where I made all the SEC schools independent, but you had to keep four teams in the conference. So I was putting like MTSU and just like four just crap teams in the SEC, making all the teams independent. And then I figured out it only lets you add like 30 independent teams. And then you have to start moving some of the original independent teams into conferences. So the SEC and the Pac-12 were independent. And then eventually it just got to the point where I was like, okay, this is boring. Just maxed out all my players' ratings, go in and edit all my starters. 144-0, Jake Miller, best coach in Tennessee history. Better than Coach Doug's himself. Absolutely. <laughs> but that, that's what you, I mean, kind of bring up a great point because, like, you know, you have it for so long, it's going to be fun and refreshing. But, like, what if it just does get old and you kind of, like, you know, think about the old way and people complain about how college football isn't the same and seeing, like, the day and age of college football with NIL and kids making money. I just see, like, a lot of things, you know, happening, like, kids not playing their full contracts out, like being crazy of not what they signed up for, not thinking like what it would be, not the experience they wanted, just all around being a mess. But like we said, you just have to have it like pre-planned before you make an official game-changing move. But to have that aspect where it's kind of just go out there, be crazy, have fun, living kind of like it was college football, yeah, like it's going to be fun. But On the flip side of that, Brenda, though, it could have athletes actually staying out at the college for three, four years and actually riding out their NIL deals because they have the opportunity to make money instead of just being like, oh, I have to declare for the draft. It could be a lot more fun that way. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we could talk about it, like going up until like they finally make the official, official move. Like there's probably millions of scenarios, but I'm glad that I'm not one of those guys making the choices. So respectfully. And also too, they're going to have to make some sort of lock and like lock it in for quite some time. Otherwise it's just going to keep changing. Like, okay, you guys get a three-year contract and then we'll re up and see if we want to add more teams. Like I feel like it just needs to all just be really well planned out and done and not really change it anymore or it just gets ridiculous. Anyone else have any other thoughts on this? No, it's just a big old mess. And, Whatever happens, happens, but we can't. It's an- dead. I love it. It's anarchy. It's just pure madness. So I'm here for it. Low, like you said, tear the NCAA apart, burn it to the ground, let the kids have the freedom, do whatever. I don't care. Dissolve the NCAA. I mean, are really are we really miss like those meaningless like Tennessee versus ETSU games like ten years down the road? Like no. I don't know. Like no. I like I hate I hate it when we play like. The Wisconsin school for the death, or you know, Tennessee school of the blind, like you know, for home, know. like but unless it's Vanderbilt playing ETSU and they get boat roasts. And but man, even then, like I hate when we play Vanderbilt because we always beat their ass traditionally, of course. I mean, last few years otherwise, but usually we beat them by thirty-five. So like, I just feel like this is going to add more competitive games and like exciting finishes and college football classics. So I hate it for the other schools. Hate it for you know the small in-state. Tennessee Techs and, you know, all those, but, you know, I mean, they can go to hell. I don't really care about them. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> <you're first. laughs> 
you can play one of those games in the spring. If you really want to, you could schedule like an ETSU or a UT Chattanooga. Play that as your spring game, a game that's actually going to mean something instead of one of these bullshit games that we've seen for years and years and years where nobody understands the scoring mechanism. It's all just a big dog and pony show that doesn't mean anything. Bring in a team where you actually have to have some sort of competition because they're going to give you their best game. And you're actually going to show up, you're going to look stupid. Yeah, I mean, you think like the Jamborees in high school football, like if you've ever played high school playing the Jamboree before your like actual season, going to play it against another team. Uh, I know they you're not scared of injury or giving too much out to the public, but, you know, keep it limited. There's no reason why you shouldn't go out against a team. Like, we're not Vanderbilt. We can go out there and compete with these OVC teams. So I think it's a great idea to kind of give those other schools still some exposure while we kind of push them out of the, the big picture. I think it's only fair because all in all, Tennessee's still funding those schools. So, And you could even – like a mini schedule where you add like two or three of those teams in April. Cause hell, I'll pay dollars to go see them play Tennessee Tech in April. And it'll be good exposure for them because we can fund them their seasons and all that good stuff. So I think that's a great proposal, Jake Miller. I love that. So easy dubs, get some momentum going, you know, when we beat the hell out of Georgia Tech or it's someone near relevant. So to start off the year, yeah, I like that. I was I was actually about to say that Drew, like you could you could make like a, a two or three week thing out of it and schedule a couple people. Maybe I don't know if you would pay them the same amount as we do for now, but like still fund them, like you said, like pay them something because obviously they come in to get their hunt in beat, whatever. But yeah, like make make like a little mini season out of it, so that way we're also not beating up on ourselves. The players have something to look forward to because they've been in spring ball, so now like that that ends their spring ball. You might as well like give them somebody else to look forward to, to beat up on instead of themselves again. But Jake, you bring up, <laughs> you bring up the scoring. So uh, I take it. You weren't a fan of Butch Jones, scoring system. <laughs> I would rather shove bamboo underneath my toenails than to sit there and watch another <laughs> spring game. That was awesome. it a score of 79 to 48. And we don't know how we got there. <laughs> you would get like five points for throwing like a three yard slant. Like it was ridiculous. Yeah. Like I'm, if you got an offsides, you lost like two points. It was like, but why, why is the score moving? Nothing happened. But Dude then theories <laughs> were like, they were throwing like fucking 30 yard balls into trash cans. Like none of it made yeah. any. <laughs> it was pure madness. It's not the madness I liked, but it was pure madness. Oh, and the random circle of life drills. <laughs> oh yeah just pause the whole scrimmage let's go to the middle of the field and do circle of life like blows my mind and, I I mean, say, and then just right back to the game <laughs> right back to it i will say that was the one thing i did like about Pruitt though when he came in he's like we're gonna have a traditional spring football game so <laughs> go back on 11 on 11 as opposed to these like circle of life drills throwing balls only 15 yards to nobody and you know like bush jones judging on the person's critique on how they threw the football like it was ridiculous god it's really bad i love that proposal of just a mini like two to four week season just right at the end i think that'd be awesome for the fans and like obviously these other teams would at least get a little bit of help and we could also just get a little bit of football in between all the other sports Here's well, the opportunity okay. like an MTSU or somebody that is still at the D1 level during the regular season instead of having to waste the game on a team that's in the FCS instead of, you know, a lower tier FBS school that might also need the money as well. I mean, here's the thing. It's another it's another opportunity for Tennessee to get fans in Neyland and make money. You sell tickets, you sell concessions, you sell merch. 
that's just more money that's coming to you as a as a entity which then again you take that money you flip that into nio you get better players i mean they, they, like it helps everybody and then we also we pay the lower schools but whatever poverty programs but like it helps us like anytime you get the fans excited you get the fans in kneeling like we're always itching for some reason to just be in that stadium we are begging to be in the stadium y'all seen it on twitter the the ball sign like everybody's been eating that up for like the last like two three days we were yeah. watching the live feed of them hang signs on that stadium okay that's how much we love that place and that's how much we want to be in there so like just get us in there like we will show up make it make it like a five dollar ticket make it a ten dollar ticket we're gonna show up so i mean dollars for the ticket and i'll pay 15 dollars for that dos Equis and the beer stand absolutely and I'll, <laughs> hey, I'll be happy about it as long as i'm sitting in the seat in the stadium i promise i will be yeah there's, there's no shot with those renovations like those ticket prices ain't coming down anytime soon let's be real hey, but i mean to kind of yeah to kind of talk about the the vols letter side i guess like for people like my age and younger like they they really don't understand the meaning of those letters and what happened in 1998 like you know when the championship like the crazy seasons you had at home going undefeated at, at home like i know it's kind of a big deal for the you know the, the ball for lifers on facebook and twitter how do y'all kind of feel y'all think it's gonna like you know obviously it won't change how we play but do you think it's a, a nice touch to see danny white you know a year and a half in you know listening to the fans more than any ad kind of has prior to him i think this has lifted the curse of tennessee football i really did Bre you all right there? <laughs> yeah alex <laughs> Hey, you said cursing like multiple times, bro. You said cursing and started flickering. Be quiet. <laughs> I think it's lifted the curse, man. Do you want to know what our record has been since they've got rid of the Vols letters, even including the Jumbotron back in 08? Okay. 80 and 81. 80 and 81 since we've gotten rid of those letters. You know, and we had a span back in the late 90s, early 2000s where – from 1997 up until 2000, we didn't lose a single game at home, which is like insane to think. For three years, three straight seasons, we didn't lose a single game at home. And then we even in the mid-2000s had a couple seasons. I think the last one was 2007, where we went undefeated at home. We haven't had anything remotely close to that since then. I think we've had a couple seasons where we've only lost two games at home. And I think there's one year under Butch where we only lost one, which was to Alabama in 16. But outside of that, I mean, it just we've we've lost it. And I, you know, I don't like to go into conspiracy theories and all this stuff or, like, have my Alex Jones side come out. But I truly believe it's because those four letters have disappeared. I mean, but they're back. We're back. And there's nothing anyone can do about it. I do think they're really freaking sweet. I mean, they look so good. But honestly, I'm just more obsessed with the new Jumbotron and the beer garden, to be quite honest. That's going to be so legit. But at least we have the letters back. I don't know if we're talking curses, though. I think the curse is still that Louisiana voodoo shit rumor that everyone said. That's the curse, in my opinion, not the letters. But regardless, I do think that everything's turned around. And Danny White just deserves a shout-out for real, for really listening to everyone. And, I mean, he listens to all of the coaches, too, but the fans and just what they want. And he doesn't care to make things fun. I mean, these block parties and shit, like that's just awesome stuff that generates money and good energy for teams. So I just think he's doing a phenomenal job. Oh, he's the best athletic director we've had since Mike Hamilton easily. He's just like, he's the same level as Mike Hamilton. I hate you, Drew. <laughs> but we talk, I know. mean, I saw a crazy tweet. It was like about the fact that um, after Bush got canned, it took like six months to get him off our Jumbotron. And here 
Danny White here is, you know, getting things done with Nealon. I think it's going to, you know, there was worries it wouldn't be done before the first game, opening up against Ball State. It sounds like they've been working overtime to kind of get it done. And then to go on top of that and get the letters planned to get pre-back up in there. And, like, not only one side, but both sides of letters done in two days, uh, waking up to see both sides done. I just think it's crazy to see how he's listening. Um, if you can get the rest of it renovated, like, you know, being a five-year project to kind of project it to be. If you get all that up to date and give it, like, a new home and, you know, fix the outside – not only is it going to help with recruiting, but just, you know, in general, of getting people back into that stadium, like we talked about with the conference, you know, realignment, having better games. Also, you make that place a better place inside and out. People are going to show up back to Neyland. It's just we have to put a good product on the field. So, Lo, I think you I think you brought up a really good point. Um, it took it took a protest outside of Neyland for John Curry to listen to us. And then he lost his job. We send out a couple tweets on Twitter and uh, why it's getting everything done. Like he's like, he, like you were saying, he's setting up those block parties. It was, that started as like, not a, I guess not a conspiracy, but it was just like somebody tweeted it out and everybody was like, yeah, that, that sounds cool. And then he was like, Hey, let's do it. And so then he did it. And then people were like, Hey, we kind of want those uh, VOLS back on the top. And he was like, I, I can do that too. And so like, it just feels good to be heard for once. And like to actually felt like us as the consumers of whatever product that y'all putting out there, the thing that we're putting money towards, that like we have some kind of voice in that. Now, granted, we don't know everything. Obviously, it's his job to make the final decision, and I trust him to make the correct ones. But just the fact that we're being heard and just considered for once feels pretty dang good. I can't lie. No, it feels awesome. And Drew, you mentioned you know the letters coming down in two thousand eight. Another, it's not even a fun fact. This is a sad fact. You know, we've not had a ten win season since those letters came down. And when they put the new video board up and you know, to everybody's point about how Danny White's actually looking or listening to the fans, you look on Twitter on July the 4th and he's interacting with fans on a day where he could easily just be interacting with his family, put the phone down, whatnot. And it shows that he cares. You know, it's not all about him. Same with Josh Heupel. You know, you look back at the previous coaches, you know, it not, wasn't necessarily about the players. It was all about him. And right now it just feels good to be able to look at an athletic director, look at a football coach and be like, okay, this guy gets it. And he's not acting like some of our previous administrators and previous coaches walking out like he's in Congress telling a blatant lie saying, oh, we're in much better shape than we were, you know, this time last year. It's like, no, we're not. We're 0-2 with two shit losses to Georgia State and BYU. No, we're not in a better place. Yeah. It's like, what do you think we are? Do you think we're that stupid? But no, it feels good to have an athletic director, a football coach, a basketball coach, and a baseball coach that all get it. It's such a refreshing feeling compared to what we were in 2017 in November. Yeah. I mean, Jake, you pretty much hit it on the, on the head right there. You saw earlier Hendon Hooker tweeting out that tweet saying this is like the place to be. Uh, you saw the guys so they wrote for Tony V in baseball and uh, Viscovi and other guys like that after an emotional year in basketball, like having, you know, coaches in general of all sports and, you know, an AD, uh, everything that Tennessee did, winning like five conference championships this year, like the most they've done in the while, having the highest win percentage in all sports while still – struggling to get back, you know, right in football, but it's still going in the right direction. In that little time, you know, come in and put the full focus on not just, you know, the three major athletics, but pretty much everything. Uh, just, you know, interacting with everyone. Like, he's going to make it feel like home. And I feel like that's what Tennessee needs, to feel like home again, show these kids what it could be, not only just because of the benefits of what we're coming, but what we've always been. And you're finally bringing that back. It's just great to see a guy kind of come in and taking it his own. No doubt about that. Everyone pretty much killed it on these answers. 
Um, do y'all want to go to the listener questions from Twitter? Let's do it. Everyone ready for that? All right. Um, first one is from at Classless Vol, who wants to know who we think the freshman that steps up most this season, I assume, I'm assuming for football, obviously, is going to be. Uh, I read this question and I automatically, you know, went offensive and defensive. I know it's probably just one, but I know obviously the hot choice on offense is going to be Justin Williams Thomas in a kind of thin backfield at the running back position right now. Crazy, crazy size. All the pictures coming out of him being early in camp and understanding the game and kind of getting up to speed. I just kind of think a crazy, crazy season is in store for him. My defensive pick is probably going to be uh, Caleb Perry, the uh, second half uh, enrollee in May recently coming in, played linebacker in high school, played quarterback too. The kid from Kentucky, an absolute freak athlete, was a three-star under under the lights. Very, very underrated. Uh, his stat line, and he's like just a freak athlete. I think this kid comes into our linebacker room, another position on the defensive side that's very, very thin, comes in there and gets immediate help on that uh, side of the ball. And if we can get those guys early enrollees, period, just rolling under hype in his first real kind of class that really wasn't a complete class for him, kind of got a late start there. Uh, it would be great to see, you know, just that early progress of kind of being able to recruit and evaluate that early. Yeah, I like that you mentioned Justin William Thomas because he was the first guy that, like, I instantly thought of that would, you know, would have an impact as a freshman. But as you say, I mean, with, you know, Jabari Small and Jalen Wright over there, it's just going to be hard for him to get reps every game. Mm-hmm. But one guy that I got is defensive end Tyree West, who was one of the top guys in, our, in the 2022 class. He was a four-star recruit out of Georgia. You know, we like, you know, he'll be behind either, you know, Tyler Barron or Byron Young. But the thing is is that he's going to have a lot of opportunities because we don't really necessarily have that much depth at the edge rusher spot. And he's someone, dude, that is like so quick off his feet and able to get through the gaps and put pressure on the quarterback. You know, I read like a crazy thing where he has a 4.5 shuttle time for his size at 6'3", 280 is like pretty ridiculous. It's like, it's really, really good. Um you know, and he loves to play contact. He's one of those type of guys that loves to be out there in the field 30, 40 plays a game. So he's just someone that has a motor where he just keeps on running. He doesn't really necessarily stop. And I got – I mean, I'll, I'll have a hot take right here. I'll say by the end of the season, he's going to be one of our starting rushers. Like, I think he's going to take over either Byron Young or Tyler Barron's spot by the end of the season. That's how hyped up I am about this kid. Sheesh. I also picked Tyree West. Um or mine, so I don't know if Jake has anyone else to <laughs> to talk about. Well, you know, I was going to go with that as well. Uh, Brando, I like the Justin Williams-Thomas one, especially him wearing number 26. Makes him look like a real tailback. Um, mm. But while we're on the topic of it, can we bring up a transfer? Oh, yeah. Andre Turrentine. That's oh, yeah. Secondary. Huge, huge, huge. And like you said, I think – you know, Drew, you mentioned how you think Tyree West is going to be a starter by the end of the year. I think that he's going to take over the spot for probably Warren Burrell, you know, out at the at the cornerback position by season's end. Because at that point, you got him, you got Brandon Turner, Jalen McCullough, yeah. all those guys back there. I mean, we're yeah, talking during team. He, he logged, yeah, he logged like 120 snaps in Ohio State spring game. He's like very experienced. It's a, a hard room to kind of find work in, you know, coming back to his home state. Definitely after what we saw in the Music City Bowl, definitely need the, the help kind of there respectfully. But, um, you know, also a guy there, I think Jordan Thomas, that enrollee, he'd be good there. And then I know the name we forgot, 
that looked like an absolute freak was uh, Jordan Phillips. That kid on the line that Rodney Garner got in earlier, that Florida kid, he is a freak athlete, like 260 solid muscle already as a freshman was early enrollee, got a few bowl practices under him. So I think there's a lot of guys you can kind of look at, you know, give them props. They got a late start on the class, but there's a, a ton of guys. What about uh, what about any receivers? Are y'all looking at any receivers to step up this year? Because I kind of like we we have Tillman, we lost Velas Jones, and that's kind of the spot we're in because we are still waiting on Hyatt to step up. Which again, I think he might be one of those breakout players that we have on the receiver or on the receiving core. But I kind of I just maybe purely out of name, I'm looking at Squirrel White. Um, a little 5'10", 160 speedster, but that's also maybe a little bit unrealistic, uh, maybe because he just needs to put on some weight and get ready to uh, get ready for the SEC. But I'm also kind of looking at Cameron Miller, a 6'1", 206-pound receiver, uh, maybe just spread the field on the other side because you know people are going to be doubling Tillman. Uh, people have seen that hooker to Tillman connection a lot, and they're expecting him to keep going back to him. I think that's going to end up being hooker's safety blanket when a play breaks down. But I just want to see one receiver step up for us. I'm going to pick Cameron Miller. Big body, put him on the outside. Put him on the inside, I don't care. Just throw him the ball. You know how we get our hey. offense open, so aerate it. It would probably be a bad time to tell Alex that they moved a Cameron Miller to a defensive back in the spring Dang. practice, so he's not even a wide receiver anymore. But I think you were mentioning right, kind of <laughs> kind of right with the uh, scroll like Caleb Webb or Chaz Nimrod. I think all those guys, because uh, we didn't land a guy like Jalen Robinson and, you know, losing out on Isaiah Nayor, Tennessee, they've – Kept it no secret. They kind of want to go more four wide this year, you know, add an extra slot. I definitely see a guy like Squirrel, if he can use his speed and gain some weight. Um, obviously, Caleb Webb is very talented in Georgia football. Chaz Nimrod, a bunch of those guys, I feel like they all have size advantages already as early enrollees, uh, putting on some great weight too. So any freshman they can get in there would be really, really great. But to kind of think of like a slot guy, you mentioned Jalen Hyatt. I would definitely say a guy like Jimmy Calloway who had his flashes and then kind of disappeared. If you can get him for a multiple game role and kind of turn him into like the the next Javante Payton, like you don't have to be a big play guy every single drive, but if you can get us a touchdown or two every game, uh, having that in this offense with also Brew and Cedric, you can just open the field. And I think that's important of being able to go four wide and open the field this year. So, For sure. Um, next question is kind of more about – defense and depth so at mark redwine four asked us about defense how are we on depth and development from last year because that's my huge concern for this season uh before drew goes like all bvd on us i'm gonna say that like the depth is you know obviously it's no secret it's it's horrendous for sec level play like we definitely have some you know spots that you know we might have a good first and second team at positions but when it gets kind of deeper and thin like you don't have many guys you can go and say you were comfortable with putting him on the field. But when you speak of in a development part, I look at all the coaches. You got BJM, Brian uh, G. Marie, Rodney Garner, one of the best defensive line coaches, Willie Martinez, who's put multiple guys in the league, you know, putting Alante and um, what's his name? 26. I'm, I'm blanking right now. Jackson, Theo Jackson. Yeah, Theo Jackson, putting those two guys in the league this year in the draft. Uh, I think, you know, obviously depth is a struggle, but development wise, I think these guys can get some key drives out of these guys. And if you can get guys that can go on the field and play and you have some confidence in them, get some confidence on the field, play at the SEC level, that's going to be super, super key because obviously next year and the year after that, and you're seeing it already in recruiting classes on the defensive line, 
uh, the edge rushing position that Tennessee is going after, linebacker and corners, they know they have a problem on the defense. And it's going to take depth and years of classes, but develop the guys and you're going to get good time. I don't think it's going to be actually as terrible as we think it like we think it will be. Uh, just in the sense is that from the defensive line perspective, I mean, yeah, we're losing Matt. We lost Matthew Butler, but you know, we got Tyler Barron coming back, Byron Young, who I think both those guys will take huge strides. Tyree West, as I mentioned, but you know, I expect Elijah Simmons over there at nose tackle will be able to take a big step. And we also got Dejon Terry, the transfer from Kansas, who's I think he's like six nine, three hundred pounds. He's like an absolute unit. I mean, that defensive line last year broke the program record for most tackle for losses in a season, which is. When you think about some of the guys that we've produced in the defensive line over the last 20, 30 years, it's pretty remarkable. And I think it speaks volumes to Rodney Gardner. Um, you know, and I think linebacker, I think like Jeremy Banks is going to be – it's like I said a couple weeks ago. I think Jeremy Banks is going to be all SEC this season. I think if he can cut down the middle mistakes of those one, two, 15-yard, like, you know, face mask, unsportsmanlike penalties, I think he could – be all SEC, first team all SEC, even potentially all American. I mean, he had over 130 tackles last year alone. And then I think a lot of people forget that Aaron Beasley had over 85 tackles last year. I mean, for a guy that really just was in the worst place possible a lot of the time, a lot of moments last year, he actually had a pretty productive season. I think the one group, man, I've started thinking more of it that I think is going to have more development than out of all the other courts on defense is a secondary. Because you're adding Andre Turretin, who has that experience from Ohio State. You know, as you mentioned, had 120 snaps in the spring game. Quincy Riley, who play, who's already played Division I football at MTSU. Desmond Williams, who's a huge, you know, JUCO prospect that we've had over there as well. And Christian Charles, who went from strong safety to, you know, to defensive back this spring and has made huge strides. And even Heupel's mentioned that he's the type of guy that can be a leader in the locker room. I think you're going to see that group in the defense improve more than anyone else. And so I still don't think it's going to be a top 30 defense by any stretch of the imagination, but it will certainly be better than 98th last year. Yeah, Drew, you kind of, you kind of went exactly how I plan to attack that question. Um, saying that I think the D line's fine. I think linebackers are going to be fine, but with, with the way that we put up points in a hurry, people have to catch up quick. And the way to catch up quick is to throw the deep ball or attack the secondary um, so I think when when people get down 14 zip real quick in the first quarter, they're going to start airing it out more because they still got to get down the field. And we had one side locked up for a good portion of the season with Alante Taylor, and then the other side got picked on with Warren Burrell. Um, so I I'm more interested just to see how it plays out. I'm trying not to set expectations. I would like to see the D line play the way they did last year with uh, obviously Gardner at the helm because I think they they were a very pleasant surprise last season um, and seeing them play the way that they play. Like people only average like three, three and a half yards rush on us. Um, that's pretty solid, honestly. And they average like maybe what, uh, let's see, 149 rush yards a game. But then oppositely they had uh, 273 yards passing against us, 422 total. Um, and we were, we were 90th in points against at 29. But again, when you're a team that puts up points in a hurry, those other teams have to play out of style, which is throw the ball, try to score points too. Um, so I'm just – I'm more or less trying not to put expectations on it, and I just kind of want to see how it unfolds. But I kind of see it being similar to last season. I just hope, like Drew was saying, that the secondary improves. Uh, we also had somebody saying um, – let's see, his name is Clebo2584, was saying Jordan Thomas is another one to watch on defense, the, the freshman cornerback coming in. Um, so, yeah, I hope they develop. I hope they get better. 
because people are going to be throwing at him all day. Yeah, another name that we've not mentioned is uh, James Pierce, another guy we've got coming in. Oh, yeah. So he's going to be a pretty good edge rusher. I mean, the thing is, like, you know, like you said, Brando, the depth, it's still not right where we want it to be, but it's at least some sort of depth. You know, it's not like Florida going into where they have absolutely no depth. Like, that's the thing about us. Like, we have some depth. It might not be the best depth that we could get, but Florida has nothing. And, I mean, that's one step in the right direction over our competition right there. I mean, that's somebody you got to play every year. And you at least want to be ahead of the curve. Somebody like that, especially somebody that has beat your ass, you know, 17 of the last 20 years. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I'm not really – I'm not worried from, like, a physicality standpoint about development because we have some of the best locker rooms and assets – at our university than anyone else in the country does. And I think that our coaches will develop them just fine on that standpoint. But my biggest concern is the mental mistakes and errors that were just so crucial last year in multiple parts of the game. And if, like you said, Banks, like he played like an animal, but he was always guaranteed at least 30 yards and penalty the game, like just silly, like errors that if they could fix, could make, completely make a turnaround on the defensive side of the ball. So I guess for me, I'm not concerned physicality wise. Like I think they'll be in better shape. I think they'll be more prepared, especially the guys who finally understand how fast this offense is and they're playing against them multiple times. And now they're going into their second season. But in reality, I just want to see them better conditioned mentally and just making better decisions overall and off the fly. And I think they'll be more improved on the defensive side of the ball than they were last year. Yeah. I mean, uh, that's a great point. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate that. Cause I think about it, like how many times last year, not only defensively, but offensively, did we see like guys like Cade Mays in the old Miss game where someone kind of pissed him off and he went at him and cost us 15 yards back in the offense up. We talked about it like every single week on the show about how year one to year two under Hypo, like statistically, it all like always, always gets better. But penalties, if we can fix those and the countless mistakes that we did have with, you know, un, you know, 15 yards or more, that would be huge, 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 because it would not only keep the offensive rolling, but defense locked in and getting off the field and third down was hard enough last year. It was horrendous. So fix those mental mistakes and you can obviously count on a better better, better outcome. And honestly, some of that could be attributed to the lack of depth. You know, when you play tired, you are more apt to make mistakes. So if you get rotation players that can come in and at least give you a break every now and then, then you're going to play sharper. You're going to play smarter. So maybe as we even develop that depth, that will itself like that will take turn or take care of itself. So maybe that's a problem that just so happened to be circumstance because we didn't have enough players to get on the field. But yeah, maybe maybe that's not even like a problem necessarily. Granted, I still think it is, but part of it can be taken away by just adding SEC depth like we've been talking about. No doubt. Um, Lex question, I think we've got two more. Um, at Stone Cold Balls, he asked us, is Joey Chestnut the greatest competitor to walk the earth? And why is the answer yes? Oh, it's 100% yes, and not only because of the fact that he showed up on crutches, but this man almost took it a guy's neck that got onto the stage. Like, let's talk about not only was he, you know, out there being a champion, holding his crown and his reign, but this man got the job done, and I would definitely pay to see Joey Chestnut in the ring or the octagon now. I, I just have to see it. 
Oh, he's the greatest American athlete of our generation. It's not even close. I mean, 15 time, or sorry, I think, yeah, it's 16 time now. Nathan, 15, I was right. 15. Nathan hot dog eating champion. And he did with a broken freaking leg. I mean, like, full on, like, Michael Jordan flu game, or like when Kurt broke his neck to get that gold medal in the six in the Olympics. It's that same level. And honestly, if it wasn't for that guy talking about the Smithfield, Smithfield Death Star and trying to interrupt him in the middle of his hot dogging, he might have broke the over. He might have gotten it. That, that killed his pace. And so the fact that, you know, all year, you know, he was recovering from the Achilles injury. He didn't, you know, then he had complications with that. He didn't get the practice that he needed, that he always gets to prepare for this one big day of the year. He still ate 63 hot dogs and still won by 20. So when you think about the greatest for 30, 40 years now, when we talk about our kids and their grandkids and their grandkids and their grandkids, they're going to think of three Americans that are the greatest athletes to ever live. Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Joey Jaws Chestnut. I hate Drew. I, like, <laughs> I love him, but I hate him. Hey, that was this such a high draw. I got to laugh for a second. Like, I was going to compare him to John Cena's title reign, but this man, Drew, just gave us a WWE promo. Like, Hey, just first off, I, I want to clear the air, Drew. Let's call it the Michael Jordan hangover game. That boy did not have the flu. He was hungover. That's all I'm going to say. Mute your mic. I don't want to hear an argument on that one because he was hungover. Second, second, people say, as we're talking about Michael Jordan, they said that he's one of the greatest winners of all time, six rings. Uh, Phil Jackson, 11 rings. Bill Russell, 11 rings. They don't have 15. Joey Chestnut got 15. If he had three hands, he would cover up every finger with rings. That's all I got to say. Also, wait, I do have more to say. He has, like you were saying, Drew, he had, a, he had an off game. The man like had an off game, and he still whooped everybody's hind end. Granted, physically he also whooped that dude's hind end that came up on him. He tackled him, finished the hot dog, and then continued to be everybody's hind end that was up there. They honestly deserve to be on their own stage, and Chestnut should have his own platform that he eats hot dogs from. So we need to, we just need to change that. But as far as all sports go, this man is probably the best winner of all time. Oh, without a doubt. I mean. The guy's one shy of Ric Flair at this point. Like you said, Drew, a broken freaking leg, broke a guy's freaking neck, and then still wins by 20. I mean, if that were Kobayashi, that would not have happened. Kobayashi would have bailed out and tried to say, oh, I need more time, I need more time. Now, Joey Chestnut, he's like, no, nah, I'm still going to win by 20 and just keeps hammering down the hot dogs. I didn't even think about that. there were any other hot dog, it'd be the nastiest contest in the world. I can only do Nathan's. Pretty pretty sure he was mid bot too. Like I'm pretty sure he was like yeah he like his was, neck. He was in the middle of finishing a hot dog as he's throwing this dude down. That was it in, and then goes for the next one. That's like that is elite talent. He, like he didn't choke. No, he he kept eating. That man is incredible. He nearly killed a man on national television. I mean, he got away with it. Like <laughs> yeah. Joey freaking Chestnut. Hey, not only did Don't he go to Boston, you moved to the side. You're no longer a badass. Joey Jaws Chestnut has just taken your title and taken your. <laughs> Hey, I, I'm sorry to cut you off, Lo, but they, not only did he get away with it, that man is celebrated. We talking about it right now, talking about how cool he is that he just like he got somebody in a, in a chokehold and threw him down mid hot dog eating. Like that, that man is just an all time legend. Like we just gotta, you just gotta appreciate greatness at that point. 
you weren't even cutting me off because I just was going to let all of the boys answer on this one. I have no comment at all for that. I'm just glad that y'all are happy that you got that question. Oh, yeah. um, <laughs> last one is at Travis underscore cabbage, I think is how it's pronounced. He asked us, why is Carnes always superior to Campbell County? Don't worry, this is a rhetorical question. Uh, first of all, Travis, you can go to hell. I'm 4 0 against Carnes in tennis. But the reason that happened and the reason that it's been that way historically is because at some point in the 70s, uh, La Follette and Jacksboro High Schools merged to become Campbell County High School. So it got to the point where it's like, okay, you got to combine two teams that were both, I think, double or single A at the time that were decent programs. And then you combine them into one, into a 5A school. And you didn't have a winning season from 1974 up until 2006. I think it was, yes, 2006, when we finally beat Carnes. Carnes was the team that Campbell County beat in order to get to its first playoff. Uh, basketball has been okay, but uh, no, I'm one of the more successful athletes in Campbell County history. <laughs> yeah, put some, put some respect on Jake, Jake Miller. <laughs> I was the most – I shouldn't have played tennis, but I was so good at it that I couldn't help it. Like, I'm spitting sunflower seeds on the tennis court, going around with a wad in during practice and stuff. Probably shouldn't hear that if you're from Campbell County, but oh well. Um, yeah, I mean, we just did our own thing, and we had fun doing it. We had fun winning. You know, as someone that was also a high school tennis player himself, I completely envision a Campbell County high school tennis player spitting sunflower seeds and this shit. And only the barbecue ones. <laughs> only the barbecue ones. That's fair. <laughs> poor, poor Jake. I just always I tune in to the show and I hear the Campbell County slander. And, you know, sooner or later, Jake's going to have to, you know, break out of the shell and stand up for himself. And I'm not going to blame him. Oh, dude, I invited to football games all the time i'm like what the hell why would i want to go watch that it's like i'm yeah. perfectly fine sitting in my chair in my studio or at home playing an xbox 360 that's two generations old than going up there to watch one of those games <laughs> oh, god so great i'm honestly just shocked that drew didn't have a bunch of shit to say about campbell county he hates that oh. I yeah, hate I passion. I'm there every single day. So, you know, I pass by Campbell County High School, you know, Jake Miller's old stomping grounds. Yeah, $10,000 gate and a $5 fence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a perfect way to describe I'm it. Burning that bridge tonight. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I hate that county as a passion. So I've already mentioned that multiple times, not because of you, Jake, but just, just because some of the, you know, characters I have to deal with on a daily basis. But that is a, another conversation for another time <laughs> oh man i get it i get it uh, jake knows jake <laughs> alex you have anything to add to that i have i don't i've never dealt with Carnes or campbell county so i, I was like you low i was just letting him have it um y'all just tear it apart yeah yeah no campbell county slander for me uh, i'm not familiar with the, the beef and the topic but you know if you're like Carnes and Campbell County arguing in my point of view, that's just, you know, down horrendous in itself. So uh, <laughs> I was going to say, I stayed, I only stayed in Carter County. So I hung out with those boys. Um, Elizabeth and kind of ran all of that in Carter County. Uh, and I went to Elizabeth. And so <laughs> all them County schools were kind of just hanging out while we beat the hell out of them. But 
to each other. When I moved back from Hawaii, I went to Oak Ridge, so I'm not involved in any of this at all. <laughs> um, does anyone else have any final thoughts to add before we uh, off? Yeah, I guess how we opened the show, you know, a huge, you know, obviously been disappointing on the recruiting weekend with the huge, huge targets, but Tennessee is still a top 15 class, has a chance to jump, jump into the top 10, maybe even the top five. They're really lucky this weekend. Uh, obviously, tomorrow, Cameron Sullivan announcing – uh, Shamirat Umarov announcing on the 8th the next day after that. Then you got guys like Jalen Smith, the four-star linebacker from Grayson on the 10th. And you might still get a guy in on the 9th or the 11th. You never know what's going to happen. But I still think uh, between now and the end of the month of July, I just think Tennessee, no matter how many losses they took, they just have dominoes continuing to fall. And props to Josh Heupel. I know there's a lot of stargazers out there. He's sick and tired <laughs> of being three stars. But if you put the you know the research into these recruits they're finding right now, they're going to be respecting him for, you know, kind of going in there and finding guys early. And to see the staff evaluating him that early is kind of crazy with guys like Nathan Leacock, John Slaughter. And obviously they still have to, you know, go through the process and sign. I know there's guys like Bear over there that he won't, you know, put pen to paper until they're signing, you know, on the dotted line. But to go out there and get these guys in the boat right now, like it's pretty impressive. So just look out for those names. Yeah. I mean, it's exactly what Brando said. I mean, like I said earlier, considering where we were a year ago, in the recruiting stages where we were in the mid forties, you know, almost in the bottom of the conference and where we are now, it's just, it's night and day for difference. And the fact that like, you know, high is, you know, staff is already focusing on the 2024 class getting Jonathan Eccles. I think that's a huge step and getting someone as, as good as he is a top five prospect in that class alone, get him as early as they did. That speaks volumes for what the, these recruits see high in Tennessee at the moment. And I also think it builds a fantastic foundation for us to even potentially even have a better class for 2024 than we do this year. I just, I just love talking recruiting because it always gets me excited for football season. Honestly, like, like it just gets my, it gets my blood boiling. I'm, I'm just ready to watch the boys play right now. It sucks that we got to wait like what two more months, I guess. But man, I don't know. Brando, you just tell me when somebody's committing and when we're about to get one. That's all I care about. Brando always dropping the nugs, little vol suits plug right there. But uh, yeah, no, I'm just excited. I, I just, I like we've been saying, we've been saying this for weeks. The atmosphere around Tennessee athletics is so high right now. The the vibes are all great. I just, I'm just ready to see it unfold in front of us. I want to see, like we said, the the vol signs coming back. Maybe there's a 10-win season in front of us. We just ain't seen it yet, but who knows? Don't shake y'all's heads. Drew, you don't roll your eyes. You have no room to talk. Jake, thank you. I'm glad somebody's supporting me here. <laughs> but I just I'm just ready to I'm just ready to see the balls play because anytime it's an offseason, it it sucks. Like I, I just love seeing this play. I love seeing the orange and white competing, hopefully beating the hell out of somebody, but that's just me. Jake, you have any final thoughts? I'm good. I appreciate you guys having me on and can't wait to see oh, you guys yeah. here. And you know, we'll do it again sometime soon. Yeah, 100%. Thank you for joining us, man. It was a fucking blast for sure. Absolutely. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for joining us, joining us, Jake, and, and for having us on last night. I had so much fun. Like, that was a freaking blast. So, I guess we don't have – I don't think we really have long to wait, though. Like, it'll be here before we know it. We'll be at our opening game, and we'll get to see how everything plays out. But I guess we're done for the evening. Oh, one more thing. Are we going to announce the big news that we have? Oh, yeah. I was going to say, speaking of opening game, we've, we've also got something opening up. 
I guess we should announce it now. Yeah. Um, August 19th, Friday, 7 p.m., we're having our first ever live show at the Skybox downtown on Gay Street. Um, should be super cool. I don't want to announce, like, who we're going to have coming yet just because it's a little far out. But we should have at least one guest, if not potentially two guests, coming on to join us. Um, so that's going to be awesome. Bar will stay open. Everything should be great. Um, looking forward to that for sure. So, And it falls on my 22nd, so I'm hyped. Hey, yes, sir. <laughs> Happy birthday. We'll be, we'll be a knock slit with the boys and low. And me. Yeah. And, low. <laughs> and the host. <laughs> Yeah, that should be awesome. Hey, but that that'll also be the first like full ATB meetup too. All yeah, yeah so the same place at one time. So I mean, we we just breaking grounds right here. That's all I'm saying. Big year for us for sure. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm I'm good. I'm signing off. I'm tired. So yeah, for sure. Jake, thank you for joining us. Blast yep. with everyone else always. Jake, thank you. Good night. Good luck. Yeah, go balls. Go balls.